0: So, uh, this is basically them refusing the monotonous and also, like, way too expensive drip feed of imported goods. It's uh, sort of like shoving aside an Oedipal mother of the big murderous Walmart that was the English trade machine. What
1: the hell were you on when you wrote this?
0: Patriotism! I already
1: told you! The Oedipal mother of the big murderous Walmart? (laughs)
0: Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we talk about dead people. If you found us, I have no idea how. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, George. Say hi, George. Good evening. Yes, indeed. It is a good evening. Is it, the Here are- what it is it is it really is though Uh, here on we talk about dead people we try to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down various members of the odd and exciting family that is humanity the way this works is that George and I will do our amateurs best to give a basic account of the major events in the life of a now dead person uh, or a dead country in this case and give a a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character which is always harder to do but we always
1: try anyway so George who do we have this week this week we are covering shade Rebellion, which I honestly don't know that much about, so I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yes. Uh, last week, I fucked up an entire episode, uh, so uh, this is me trying again.
1: I mean, I'm going to keep it real, Chief. Last week was an absolute catastrophe.
0: I know. I know. It's all my fault, but I, I'm, really, I'm really not sorry. Sometimes things just go poorly, and there's nothing you can do, but,
1: you know. I mean, you could actually try writing a half-decent script for once.
0: Uh, well, it is bold of you to assume I can write it all, and it's also a falsehood that we use a script on this show. Everything is unscripted. Uh, that's a fact.
1: Well, we've told enough lies to our listeners about last week. Let's let's have some new lies. So instead of talking about all that, <laughs> I think it's time we focus our energy on creating a really good episode today. What do you say? That
0: That is the spirit. You might say the American spirit. Let's get down to the history lab and learn about why you must not step
1: on SNCC. Now, give me give me a minute. Now that you said American spirit, I need to go for a smoke break. <laughs> can you smoke in your apartment? I don't even know anymore. I mean, can. More like, do you? <laughs> I was going to say, can is a term with a, a lot of shades in there. Oh, my God. I remember
0: those days. Hold on, man. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Taxation is theft. <laughs> My neighbors are home. This is, this is going to be great. Okay. Taxation is theft. Taxation is theft. In a world where men wore wigs and still looked cooler than you, not all was good. Debt. Weaponry. Taxes. America. Take my hand, slip into my top hat, and let us travel back to a time. Travel back to a land. A time and land. A land and time. Where the government's grubby, chubby hands were stopped by a man. A man who said, taxation is theft. Can't blame me. I voted for Ron Paul. Don't tread on me. From my cold, dead hands. How much freedom can you tolerate? Legalized liberty. We're not a party. We're the people. One nation under God. So,
0: George. Uh, I left this question in here on purpose because I thought it was really funny. Uh... So, George, if there was one person you would never want to catch listening to this podcast, who is it
1: and why is it Bill Clinton? Well, I was coming up with an answer because I wasn't actually reading ahead, and then we got a Bill Clinton part, and that kind of threw me for a loop because the yeah. uh, the reasons aren't really valid for Bill Clinton that I was thinking of. Um, uh, I would say if it was Bill Clinton, probably because that would mean I have aroused the interest of certain multinational entities, (laughs) shall we say, that best remain unnamed. And that's never a good thing. I can
0: just imagine him right now, leaning back in that chair, wearing that blue dress
1: and those red heels, just
0: listening to the podcast and being like, how did they know?
1: Is that, see, I knew there was some famous blue dress. Okay, so he wore it. That's what happened. You know, I'm, the modern history, it's, it's beyond me. Okay. Perfect. I mean,
0: maybe he wore it, but there there is that painting in the Epstein Castle in New York of him. You've seen that, right?
1: Unfortunately.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry about your eyes.
1: Um Yeah, it was like it's like reading reading one of those elder scrolls when you haven't done the weird thing with the moths yet. Do you remember that in Skyrim? (laughs) Uh Oh, no. I forgot you don't actually pay attention to the plot of video games, dumbass. Oh man,
0: if we're gonna start digging on each other,
1: here's the shovel. <laughs> digging. Uh,
0: yeah, that's good. That's really good. Uh, but also, like, what is this you're talking about in
1: Skyrim? The Elder Scrolls, like the thing is literally named after. You have to. It's part of the, the you vampire. You said something about exp- crows, though. No, butterflies. Butterflies. The vampire expansion. You have to read the the scroll, but if you don't, if the priest doesn't do the right thing when he's reading the scroll, it blinds him.
0: Oh, okay. I actually did pay attention to all the expansions because the main plot was not that good. It was okay, but the expansions were... The thing
1: with Elder Scrolls games is I always forget there is a main plot because the side plots are usually better and, like, tighter and more concise and just more engaging and then it'll be like, wow, I'm 400 hours in and I still have literally not, like done the first step of the main
0: quest. (laughs) That's funny. I'm the exact opposite. I go straight for that main quest and the side quests. I just... They're good. I mean, they're good. But when they started doing that Radiant story shit in Skyrim, I was like, this is fake.
1: This isn't a real... Yeah, that was not ideal. (laughs) It's like, there's a blank that needs to be blank in... Insert location here. It was just the same, like four things over and over again.
0: Then it's like, here's your payment. <laughs>
1: <Then> <laughs> go, Have a nice day.
0: Yeah. Here's your payment. Come uh, again. Goodness me. Uh, anyway, enough for yes. Skyrim.
1: So, <clears throat> yes. Yes. All right. Well, Bill Clinton, I, I guess... yes. No, no Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton verboten. Absolutely not. And what about <laughs> you, Aaron? Why do you not want Bill Clinton or anyone really listening to this podcast?
0: Uh, because then it would mean I'd have to have some kind of journalistic quality or integrity. Actually, just kidding. Because <laughs> it turns out, the stupider you make your shit and the worse journalism you perform, the uh, the more the more uh, ad money you get. It's topsy-turvy land. Anyway, I think it's time for Computer to please bring up Daniel
1: Shea. Sorry, I've just put my headphones back on. It's wow, alright. My chair is really squeaky. What were you saying? What you got over there? <laughs> okay, what were we talking about?
0: I was wondering what kind of cigarette you were
1: smoking. Oh, American spirit. But, like, what color? Um. York <laughs> blue, I guess. I can never really tell the difference between, like, several of their colors. Oh man, the dark blues,
0: oof. I think I only ever had one of those. Ugh. I had one of the blacks one time, holy shit. the ones that
1: taste like scrap metal.
0: Yeah, the ones that kick you in the ass harder than a goddamned angry donkey.
1: Yep, I've only ever had those because they were recommended by a really cool professor who you probably know who I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, I think so. A physically imposing man with hilarious dry humor. Yes, of course.
0: I know exactly who you're talking about.
1: Who also is a great, you know, I'm sure would be really into this episode today, because he was also kind of a fuck-the-government type.
0: Yeah, uh, we're going to have to talk about that a little bit, um, uh, because Daniel Shay's is a very, very interesting story. But what's interesting... More so than Daniel Shays, at least in the approach I took on this episode, was like the lead up uh, to his actual existence and why he was important as a uh, as a figure in uh, American politics, you might say. Um, now I do have we have pulled up the uh, the uh, the picture or, or the uh, entry in the history internet uh, of, of Daniel Shays. And I would like you to describe
1: the physical appearance of the illustrious gentleman below. You know, you have not given me a whole lot to work with. Jeez, it's like a—I mean—a half. Now it's like a quarter turn profile that looks like it came out of a—I don't know—woodcut. Sure. I mean, I—I'll I, do it this week. You—you
0: you just enjoy your smoke. I'll just do it this week.
1: Oh, he's got great sideburns. Make sure you mention those.
0: He does have great sideburns. He has a face like a wall, Um, a mouth that does not belong to a man of this character. I think God had to rein him in a little bit with the looks department because he was just so fucking badass.
1: Okay, I see. I'm glad you said it because, yeah, I I didn't want to say it, but he's (laughs) he's not great looking. Yeah. And that—that's all I could think of, and I knew you were excited about this man, and so I didn't want to come out and say that. So I'm glad you—you've you've taken that upon yourself.
0: <laughs> oh man, well that's it. Face like a wall, not that—not uh, that pretty. Kind of looks like uh, that one neck guy um in that Greek bust, a Roman bust, whatever. Oh Nero, is. Nero. There you go. Why do I say Greek? I'm so dumb. All right. Uh, yeah, he kind of looks a little like uh, like. Um but you know I got to say it actually already feels like comfier doing this podcast with hearing somebody light up a cigarette and just like sit back.
1: Yes, yeah, so it's amazing. So I just grabbed the nearest thing that looked vaguely ashtray like, which turned out to be the glass thing that a candle had been in that I'd burned all the way down, not thinking that the hot ash would reactivate the little bits of candle wax. So now I have this sort of pomegranate haze <laughs> around me in <at> the microphone. <laughs>
0: Oh man, this is getting very comfy indeed. Too comfy! Let's get to to talking about Daniel Shays. All right? All right.
1: So, is it Daniel Shay or Daniel Shays?
0: It's Shays, and I was about to say something about that. I was about to Shay something about that. Um, Throughout this whole thing, I kept writing Shay and not Shays. Uh, So, I am going to mess it up, just calling it out now before. uh, before you
1: do. So I mean that's fine. I think I accidentally said seventeen seventy six when we were talking about the Lombards, so
0: You did, and it was hilarious. <laughs> Seven seventy
1: six will commence again.
0: I mean I did just botch an entire episode, so I think the seventeen seventy-six thing can, <laughs> you can you can get away with it. Alright, so <clears throat> let us begin. Our story begins prior to the American Revolution. In the town of Hopkinton, Massachusetts, and I'm gonna pronounce that all wrong every time. Uh, it's okay, ta- neither
1: of us are from New England so
0: Okay, perfect Well, in the town of Hopkinton There was a family of Irish immigrants By the oh, name I... of <laughs> By the name of Shays It was a family of eight With four daughters and two sons One of these two sons was our boy Daniel Shays Born in 1747 Do you know where in the lineup he was of the siblings? I actually don't know oh. I, No, he was the second son Or the second child I don't remember, either way uh, it's not important. Well, it is important. It doesn't matter. Okay, it does matter! Wow, I'm totally schizophrenic today. Uh, So the Shays were a fairly normal Irish family. And aside from still living under the tyranny of British rule and taxation... Even Which, if you want to
1: hear about that, we have, a, we have a whole series on the British relationship with the Irish.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I just actually heard from somebody else who listened to the whole thing. And they were like, I didn't know any of this. And I'm like, nobody does, because... They're Irish, and they just got buried in history because the British didn't like them. Anyway, so Daniel Shays. <laughs> After you had
1: that conversation, did you see them wandering towards a parked car with a suspicious suitcase?
0: Uh, no, and I disavow uh, what you just mentioned just there. So anyway, <clears throat> Daniel grew up working at various farms, performing basic labor jobs and tilling the land for harvest. This is how he spent most of his time until he was about twenty-five. At which point, he met and married a girl, and they would go on to have six children together. So, good for good good for him. Good for him. Yeah, it's not just Shay; it's Shays. Uh, So the trouble was, Daniel Shays was twenty-five in Massachusetts in 1772. So you see why there might be a little trouble coming up here in uh, Mr. Shay's future. So, <clears throat> when the American Revolution starts to materialize and local armies are being raised to fight the British, Shays does what any freedom-loving patriot would do, and joins up, or signs up, I should say, to join his local militia, the 5th Massachusetts Regiment. This infantry regiment would see a lot of action throughout the 1st American Revolution. Now, for a little background on how all of this, uh, don't all what well... More like how all of this ended up materializing in uh, Mr. Shay's life. And uh, we're going to give a little context to Mr. Shay. Shay's, I did it. Anyway, so many <laughs> of you will know that around 1765, it's even written in the not script as Shay's, and I still said Shay. Anyway, around 1765, the British elite were behaving like bastards as usual because they were focused on trade. If you want to hear about that <clears throat> in a lot more detail, well actually I'm gonna rant about it a lot on here but Alexander Selkirk is a, is a good one to listen to if you want to know about this because it's possibly the most one of the most important things that ever
1: happened so a, fin- anyway. a financial elite no don't mistreating, you start. <laughs> mistreating the lower segments of society because they're solely interested in the GDP so to speak uh, oh, don't- wow I didn't know we were doing a fantasy story today Aaron that couldn't happen. <laughs>
0: I should have thought, I should have known this was going to trigger you so hard. Everyone, I apologize in advance. Um, <laughs> George is the snake that got stepped on. All right, so. Um, anyway, so yes, the uh, the British elite behaving like bastards. They're focused on trade. British kings made as many tax laws as they could to bolster this trade with extra money. Um, this process of the slow boil... Took place over the course of about a hundred years, beginning largely in the 1680s. And here's the fun.
1: Here's a fun fact, folk: all those taxes are minuscule compared to the ones you willingly pay every day to a corrupt plutocratic regime. Are you drinking? <laughs> I could. I mean, that'd be a whiskey
0: rebellion if <laughs> I ever heard one. <laughs> oh, oh um. okay. So, so kicking off. This Hundred Years of Oppression was your typical British Empire bullshit we talked about in the Alexander Selkirk episode. Charles II essentially viewed his colonists as mere gears in the death machine that was the British International Trade Empire. Uh, people were basically a necessary, uh, but nevertheless, disgusting evil. That's how they kind of viewed him up there in the, in that, the Parliament. And this, this is, of course, becoming a theme on our show uh, about the elitist mindset of treating subjects as slaves and not human beings. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, actually, it is here. It's this whole episode. So if you don't like it, don't listen. So the people would work to build ships for the British Navy, harvest crops for the British Army, mine oars for the British wealthy, and all kinds of things like that, with their labor composing the backbone of British trade. It could not exist without their labor, basically. So these goods would be carted off for trade. Oh, before you even ask, I am not a communist. These goods would be carted off for trade, often leaving the people who produced the goods with nothing. And as the people grew poorer, and the elites in Britain grew wealthier, the elite's insatiable hunger, as we've talked about before, for incessant expansion, grew to be even more ravenous. Because it turns out, the more you feed a beast, the bigger it gets, the more it requires. It is a law of nature.
1: George uh, isn't a communist either, for the record.
0: Oh yeah, we know, we know you're not. You're, you're a, a sneck. we know. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, do, 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 do. Yes, okay. Of course, it wasn't enough to work people to death, to extract the maximum value from their time on God's green earth and make them pull things out of the ground and not pay them enough to live. The people also had to be taxed as much as possible, uh, which is what began happening in all of Britain's colonies at different times in their histories. Um, and the, the crown would basically uh, decide when it wanted more money to just squeeze a certain population all around the world, or all of them. Uh, just so he could buy some more jewels for his uh, silly hat. Yeah, so It was rule- more,
1: more like so they could buy more cannons to fight the French. That's true. Because that's yes. basically the national pastime, other than oppression of the British was fighting the French.
0: Yes, the, the only power that bothered them enough, I guess. Um, so anyway, they're ruling from a safe distance, playing with their little chess pieces far away on their little island. <laughs> And Charles II and his pals are enjoying the fruits of colonist labor and, uh, you know, warfare all the time and plunder. So they never had to see the starving children or the imprisonment of people who were fleeced to their last coin and couldn't pay up. And honestly, even though they didn't see it physically, uh, they had to know about it and simply did not care. It's psychopathic, but hey, that's literally show business.
1: Capitalism. What? Uh, what? 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 (laughs)
0: <laughs> how dare you I'm an American alright so cause at one least
1: of, I know I'm free
0: oh my god so one of the things Charles II did <laughs> that's such a sad song when you think about it <laughs> anyway one of the things that Charles II did to crush his people's hopes and dreams was to start a process of centralizing control in the American colonies because the colonies you see had formed something like organic little governments in their borders These governments were usually populist in nature and did what they could to reduce the strains put on the poor people by psychopaths in Britain. Uh, Many times they had to operate in secretive ways, these little governments, in order to to prevent word getting out that someone in leadership, dare I say,
1: cared for the people.
0: Absolute scandal. Scandal absolute scandal but yeah no so, colo-
1: the whole colonial government system is really crazy especially at the early phases because they all kind of came into being in different legal ways and so it was it wasn't like the system that these are all the constituent parts that work together they were all just kind of operating on their own rules and vaguely cooperating
3: mm-hmm
1: yep one Thank day you. I'll tell you about why Delaware actually belongs to Pennsylvania but that's not <laughs> for today <laughs>
0: Okay, so Charles II, the absolute crack addict monarch, developed a little plan that would both increase British trade control in America and simultaneously get a little revenge on these people who had the gall to care. He, nulli- he nulli- nullified, he nullified, he nullified the colonial charters, despite vocal outcry from the people. Um, his successor, James II, then would go on to establish what was called the Dominion of New England. Uh, this effectively forced the colonists to subject themselves to the whims of the crown. Their little governments were sort of like gone now, well not gone, but like you know it 's like they 're not official anymore because any any kind of unofficial government that popped up in defense of the people was considered to be treason to the crown. The loyalty was to the crown, not to the not to the people, right. So James II also enforced uh, what was known, what were known as the Navigation Acts, which disallowed town meetings, denied the validity of existing land titles, and put deeply unpopular British officers in charge of local militias. Like on purpose, they were like, "We're gonna give you the guys you hate the most, and you're gonna take it." And I mean, he had to, right? I mean, there are all these pesky people he didn't like being taxed to death, getting together and like blowing off some steam. Can't have that, gotta ban the meetings. Gotta put the British officers in their militia. Well, these are obviously intolerable conditions. They literally cannot last forever. So you begin to see some protests, such as the non-violent 1689 Boston Revolt, which began with an illegal gathering of a whole bunch of miffed tax slaves carrying guns, and ended with the arrest of British puppet Edmund Andros and all his elitist friends. So there's there's a happy ending sometimes. This pressure did, did he
1: did he commit suicide in prison?
0: I don't think so. Um, but he also may not have existed, and the ears don't match. So anyway, so the pressure release um, disbanded the centralized beast known as the Dominion of New England, and the colonies were again free to reassert leadership within their own borders. Not completely, but like it wasn't, you know. the The crown was sort of like, oh well, if you're gonna arrest them, you know, like. Fine. (laughs) So, uh, many attempts were made over the following decades, however, to quietly reintroduce new taxes to get the Americans back into tax slave status. And because this time it was a slow boil and not a stupid, everything is mine right now, Dominion of New England gambit, it actually worked. And it took, uh, about 50 years. A little under 50 years, but. By 1733, the British government had achieved many of their old taxes, um... They'd brought them back and introduced newer, stupider ones that were just
1: absolutely ridiculous. They taxed your hat. They taxed hats. And as anyone who knew me in college could attest, that would have absolutely broken me.
0: Yep, yeah, it would have. There were many, many hats to be worn, uh,
1: including, I seem to remember, a beret. Actually, I had that weird phase where I actually had a bunch of berets, like in different colors. Oh, man. Wow.
0: What did... It- what does it mean when people start getting into berets? Because I've seen tons of people get into berets, and they're all very different.
1: Yeah, for me, it was like watching old footage of, like, mercenaries in Africa. Like Bob. Um, oh, that, yeah. that was my kind of beret aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. Good old Bob.
0: Um, so, yeah, they were putting taxes on everything, including all the berets, so you would have been, you would have been mad. And they also put uh, taxes on molasses in 1733 Uh, with the creatively entitled Molasses Act, and this may not sound like a big deal, but it was, because molasses was big business. So this tax crippled New England's economy um, because people couldn't sell their molasses, and it essentially forced people to become criminals just to stay alive within the system. And people who weren't criminals suddenly were because they had too much molasses in their houses! This created a huge increase in smuggling and bribery in New England that wasn't there before. It was attacked so bad it literally created a huge black market. So meanwhile, the men in these colonies, the men in these colonies, are all being sent to fight wars for Britain. Sent to fight wars for Britain, my god. And the British elites are fucking them over the whole time. Pay is bad because they're colonists, territory is captured from Britain's adversaries. A great loss of colonist life, and is sometimes immediately abandoned, or even in some cases, GIVEN BACK TO THE VANQUISHED ENEMY BECAUSE OF POLITICS! Which would be very demoralizing if you had lost, say, both your legs and both your eyes, and one arm, and no, and your head, I don't know. Um, So the British elite were at war, like you mentioned earlier, with the French elite almost constantly. And this was displacing many people from their homes and driving taxes through the roof. In 1765, the Stamp Act passed, which posed direct taxes on specifically colonists for the first time. American colonists. This was, of course, loathed by the Americans, and it was largely because they had no voice in Parliament. None at all. And it's at this point that a man named Benjamin Franklin decided that he was the one who was going to go to England and entreat Parliament by reason. He yeah, no, It's probably
1: good to um, just remind people that you know we talk a lot about the crown doing all this, but you do have to remember that Britain is a constitutional state. So they also, you know, it's it is has a lot of democratic elements, and they have elected representatives and stuff. And yet they still oppress people. Remember, people, democracies can be just as oppressive as any other form of government.
0: Uh, that is a controversial thing to say, but I'm glad you pointed it out because it, it is also always useful to remember that. Um, virtually any... There's, like, no perfect system. All of them have flaws, and they can all be exploited to achieve the same things using different words. That's not even, like, a a joke. That's basically what it is. So, anyway. Benjamin Franklin. He decided he was gonna be the one to do something, so he went to England to talk to Parliament. And there, he argued that local American governments had raised and armed 25,000 men to go to war with France, an interest which was not theirs. Uh, He argued that London had also... Uh, They also had about 1,500 men enlisted in the British Army who were so well-connected politically that they could neither be sent to the front line or taken off full-time pay for fear of political reprisal. Since London didn't want to pay 1,500 elite offspring to sit around all day, as this would be bad for optics, they had them shipped off to America, where it was mandated that Americans pay these useless salaries to these useless elite children who were probably, like, is playing Xbox all day, um, or worse. Officially, these guys were, you know, defending America, but Benjamin Franklin called bullshit, um, because America was under no military threat. It was just British claims that were under military threat, and since America did not have representation in Parliament, they were not, well, basically. Anyway, uh, hard to explain. So, um, stationing these men in that area at the sole expense of the people who just happened to live there was an outrage. Um, Benjamin Franklin's appeal to reason was met with basically scoffing and, you know, people like falling asleep when they're supposed to be listening um, or pretending to fall asleep, as might be the case. Nice nothing- tea, tea drinking bastards. I uh, know. Nothing changed. Um, and he went home to ponder what the next step in this whole or- ordeal might be. And amidst all this, a new identity had been developing, and we don't really think about this very much, but the people of America were starting to realize that even though they might be English, Irish, Dutch, African, or Native American, uh, literally none of their interests were being served at all by this government. It was cruel, it was cold, but it was an undeniable fact. They were not on their side. Horrifying, of course, but it was undeniably true. And this is, the po- this is the point where I, I put on my PC hat, and I like to point out that the Continental Army, the army that would eventually fight off this British monster, was actually racially integrated, which would not happen again in America until 1948. Uh, by 1777, the majority of the army was composed of immigrants, indentured servants, and slaves from German, Irish, and African backgrounds. Most of the people who fought the British in the American Revolution weren't even born in America, they were like, born in Ireland and then got like, Oh my god, there's this demon called Britain, I'll just run away! And then they get to America and they're like, fuck. <laughs> so, there's no more running, right? Um, and if there, but the thing is like, everybody kind of got along, because if there's one thing you can get just about everybody to agree on, it's fuck the British. Which is why I propose that we add something to our coinage, in God we trust, and just below, and to hell with the British government.
1: <laughs> well, that is a pretty, pretty universal sentiment, as far as I know.
0: I know. Well, it's like think about everybody in the world who suffered at the hands of these people. It there's not a single person who, or a single culture or group or class that got away, except for the uh, the, the ultra elite in in the city of London. It's crazy. Um. So anyway, unified in their oppression, the people began to fight back. Proto-memes began to spread, such as the phrase, no taxation without representation, which was the official motto of an underground group of revolutionaries, American revolutionaries, known as the Sons of Liberty, which just sounds like a biker gang. Isn't it a biker gang, or is that just me? I don't know. It might be. Okay. Um, Because the parliament... Would not hear the voice of the people it quickly became popular to jab at the government whenever it was possible. Um, people were starting podcasts and making fun of elitists you know it's it's almost it's almost like it was a
1: a, a similar time or something so anyway well, I, I I have to put on my um, my devil's advocate hat here to also to say that it's a pretty complicated situation in that there were many layers of elitism and oppression and for some people the people oppressing them were super anti-british and pro-american and as a result there were a lot of people who sided with the british because the people who were oppressing them specifically their local you know landowning elites were all about the revolutionary stuff.
0: Yes. Yes, that's actually a really good point and I'm glad you brought it up because as I was wrapping up the story I started to get a little uh, suspicious about all this. But it does not change at all the thread with which I am going to follow the American Revolution, which is 100% pro-revolutionary. Okay. So one of the things that colonists did um, in order to support this revolution is they just stopped consuming British goods. Um, They boycotted them by the cartload and turned and said to American sources, shipments began to be lost. Taxable goods began to vanish from the greedy eyes of the British elite and the British businesses began to report losses in America. And the reason this huge boycott was even possible was kinda simple. In the 1760s, Americans still provided the majority of their product by way of their own soil. 90% of the economy was still based on agricultural development within the colonies. And while the boycotts and taxes both contributed to the uh, destruction of what could be called English urban life in America, the thing that propped up the whole resistance was this sort of self-sufficiency, which is why Benjamin Franklin in his... R- started distributing his poor farmers Almanac, He was like, this is what makes us strong. So anyway, <clears throat> if America had been completely reliant on English trade, like many uh, victims of the... of the, uh... the British elite, um, resistance would have been impossible. But because the majority of patriots, and I'm just gonna call them that majority of patriots, had set up their own resource okay, supply... Okay, Rush Limbaugh. Ugh. What does he even sound like? I don't even remember what he sounds like. But I I'm, trying I was... to, I'm
1: trying to imagine. It. It's been so long. Yeah, I can't do it.
0: It's been a long time since I listened to the Pillsbury Doughboy. Um. Anyway, my mom bought his tea, so you know, I, I drank his his tea. <laughs> Growing up,
1: <laughs> we did. He he has a line of tea.
0: Yes, it's called Two If by Tea. Like, like the lights. You're, you're that, joking. No, Paul Revere said two, he would like Lifted two my, lanterns. Yeah, no,
1: I...
2: Two I, I, uh, <laughs> Is there
1: nothing that will not just fall victim to crass merchandising? <laughs> no, and that is the
0: story for today. Um, so, yeah, so uh, the majority of these uh, patriots had their own supply system. Uh, which meant they were largely immune to things like enemy-induced famine. A historical example of the opposite setup is India, uh, when it started westernizing um, largely by force, but also, you know, because they kind of had to. Um, And then they ran into problems in World War II, where the people were so reliant on English trade, that when the trade routes got blocked by the Japanese military, four million people starved to death, uh, roughly. And that is a fact. But, uh, They had no way to produce their own food, so when the supply line stopped, they died, which is sad, but there you go. So in 1768, a sloop known as the Liberty was seized by the government, allegedly for smuggling. And this was a big deal, mainly because it was the first event that really proved just how angry people were. And it also shows something interesting, um, that the British... Public opinion is against the British so strongly that they've discovered in this incident that there's no way they can spin the story to make it look good to the American people. And it was really their own damn fault, because like, think about it. If this ship, the Liberty, had indeed been smuggling, public opinion would have been in favor of the ship's owner, John Hancock, because he was usurping the monopoly, The British had on trade in America. Like I said, there was a black market that Americans supported because they didn't want to get crushed by the British anymore. If this ship wasn't smuggling, public opinion would be against the government anyway for wrongfully seizing a vessel by a public icon like John Hancock. And this is the situation that the British elites had always, had gotten themselves into and always got themselves into. And this is sort of like why... The elites are kind of like wily Coyote. They have all these schemes, but eventually they just launch themselves into space in a massive rocket. Um, Which is what they're planning to do, by the way. (laughs) So, uh... (laughs) uh, Any move that the British elites made at this juncture was going to piss people off, which is why a riot broke out in Boston over a ship. The British officials had to flee the town, uh, and troops were mobilized to quell the storm. Afterward, Parliament... uh, Parliament reactivated the Treason Act of 1543, a law that had been put in place by none other than that bastard, Henry VIII. This act stated that anyone who put a toe out of line with the lockstep death march of the British government would be tried in England and put to death in England, and then the government would take all their stuff. So,
1: you're- Sounds like something that fat bastard would do. I know, right?
0: Um, so at this point, however, it was a meme to hate the government. Everybody with a brain uh, hated the government.
1: No, Aaron, get back to the story. Stop talking about right now.
0: I'm not talking about now. I swear to God. Stop. <laughs> disavow. <laughs> um, so they also began to notice all this puffed up, like, Dur her! we'll just execute you if you hate us bullshit was exactly that. Bullshit. That's why the people but of America- But Aaron, Ameri- the, government,
1: the government has nukes
0: oh yeah, they have all the power, they can listen to your phone right now. Well, I have something to say to you, daddy government! I know you can, and I know you're not gonna do shit, so there you go.
1: <laughs> now, in the words of the late, great congressman James Traficant, I have a message for the Justice Department. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> he said that while a member of Congress. That's amazing.
0: <laughs>
1: so anyway, people started to see that, oh, like,
0: Britain's like literally around the world, and they've got some troops here, but like, you know, we're just gonna start making fun of it like they they, they can't kill us I mean they could but they won't because they need us and that's why that's why uh the people began of America began calling the bluff of this shitty Walmart empire on a daily basis even the kids were in in on it there's just a like story after story of like a kid like calling a fucking well I don't know Yankee Doodle went to town. Anyway, so on March the 5th, 1770, a jeering crowd gathered around a bunch of British soldiers in Boston. And at first, they were just mocking them. But then somebody threw a snowball, and then someone threw a rock. And as anger began to rise, someone ended up hitting one of the soldiers over the head with a stout piece of wood. This British soldier fell, and in a panic, his companions opened fire, shooting 11 people and killing three. Obviously, this makes the situation more unstable.
1: And do you know who their defense lawyer was? Who?
0: John Adams. I'm sorry, it's your espresso
1: machine now. There he goes. Yeah, no, John Adams, you know, the John Adams, was the one who defended the British soldiers in court. No shit. Yeah, because he... And I think there is some case for that, because, you know, once you're whacking people with clubs, (laughs) it's kind of hard to play the we were just... um, you know, peacefully protesting deal. Anyway, so yeah, um, I think there was a miniseries or something about it. But anyway, yeah, it's John Adams was the one who defended them in court. Well, that sounds like
0: a, something a fair person would do. Uh, I don't know anything about John Adams. Uh, you probably hate him and I don't know it. All right. <clears throat> Which, so, <clears throat> Everything's getting more unstable, and the government is increasingly, like, out of things to try. So they, like, take some taxes away and institute some new ones, and they reduce others, they raise others. But all this does is piss people off even more. And they were starting to get organized, too. Um, The Committees of Correspondence formed, which was a network between the 13 colonies of about 8,000 pissed-off and armed patriots, uh, who were really starting to sound like Alex Jones. They are called patriots. Like, fuck's sake. Um, Anyway, so these people were committed to the cause of freeing the American people from their enslavement by the British. In 1773, Parliament passed the Tea Act. This act was passed directly to help the East India Company undercut the price of America's beloved smugglers, who were, of course, risking their lives and also literally being pirates, um, to help people avoid buying British tea. And also to, you know, line their own pockets, right? It's... it... You're fucked either way. If you're gonna be buying tea from anybody, it's like it's either from, like, organized criminals who have a crown, or organized criminals who have a black hat. I, I don't know. Anyway, so a new shipment was scheduled to arrive in Boston to be bought and distributed by British agents at a price that was so cheap no smuggler there could ever attempt to compete. However, it was determined by the Sons of Liberty in Boston that the tea was n- must not be allowed to reach American soil. And when the tea shipment arrived in the harbor, a large group of men dressed as Mohawk warriors hit the streets. You might be wondering why they were dressed as Mohawk warriors. They were dressed this way to signify that they identified more with the Native Americans than they did the British at this point. Um, they felt like, you know, the the government was constantly... Well, it was done symbolically to show that the expansionist, like, ad- ad- addiction that the British elite had um, hurt literally everybody, and especially Native peoples who had just really wanted to be left alone.
1: And it I feel th- like none of that's true. What are you talking about? I feel like it was because it's basically a flash mob. You're not going to easily identify anyone when you're doing this. And can I... Knowing what I know about the history of the, of the American government, I really have a hard time imagining these primarily you know, local elite people were trying to make some sort of political statement by dressing up like A Native tribe. I mean, what can I say? I'm pulling
0: from a lot of different sources here Interesting. Well, I'm trying to be fair. I mean, obviously I have a bent toward, you know, the the fucking normal narrative But I like to I like to throw things in there every now and then I don't have to defend myself But I do have to I do have to say he is right It might not have been for this reason, but this is this is one historical hot take on this shit And I kind of like it. And we
1: deliver hot takes on this show.
0: Yeah, but I'll tell you why I included it. Because among this crowd, you probably had Irish people uh, whose families had been forced out of their homeland due to the consumption of this disgusting beast that was the British Trade Empire. Um, You likely had Puritans who had been forced out of England because they were literally too pure (laughs) for that world (laughs) and because they didn't like the state sponsored Anglican church. And you almost certainly, I mean, you definitely had working-class people who had been born and raised in this system, and had seen it grind their friends and families down to nothing. Um, In my, like, in my humble opinion, and in my hot take, I think that they, if you go with this narrative, um, that this was, like, sort of a moment where they were abandoning their their identities as subjects of the English-British elitist empire, and forging a new one as brothers fighting for each other at last. This was the spirit of revolution that was necessary to effect real change. And I, I was, I got, I got a little bit, uh, I got a little bit patriotic and bald eagles. We have a couple bald eagles that live out here. Uh, I, they landed by the trailer and started crying when I was writing this because they could sense the patriotism in my heart. So as these three, as these men threw 342 chests of McDonald's tea into the harbor, The air was electrified with the reminder that the power to stop it all was literally within their own hands. It was likely frightening, thrilling, fun, wrathful, and absolutely hilarious the whole time. It had literally come down to throwing the products out. Can you imagine it, though? If you got together like a bunch of your friends and you just, like, threw a bunch of shit into the water? It'd be like... Fuck you! But also, like, you're all laughing because you're all dressed up and shit.
1: <laughs> I mean, my calendar is free. Just tell me. Okay, we went and where?
0: We'll we'll do it. I've got I've got forty hours PTO at the new job. So, <laughs> so uh, this is basically them refusing the monotonous and also like way too expensive drip feed of imported goods. It's uh, sort of like shoving aside an Oedipal mother of the big murderous Walmart that was the English trade machine. What
1: the hell were you on when you wrote this? Patriotism! I already told you! The Oedipal mother of the big murderous Walmart?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thought that'd get you. Uh, I need to start like putting in spots where I know you're going to say something. Um, So yeah, they were like, they're getting off the machine. They're, They're realizing that, you know, hey, we've got the agriculture. We're the ones who grow the plants. Like, We don't need this shit! Um, And it was sort of like this new understanding of freedom, where you could face the big scary world without being part of a corporate entity drunk on power and money. Um, But they also understood uh, that true freedom had all the mortal dangers and all the opportunities you could imagine, with emphasis on the danger. So that night, um, the Americans traded in their citizenship. They realized the horror of the British Empire outweighed their perceived security as English citizens. At this point, you couldn't even think of yourself as, like, a, a citizen of, an like, anything English at all. You were so far removed uh, from what was going on in jolly old Britain that it's like, well, what the fuck are we, then? Um, I And I like to believe that they realized that they were a citizenry of slaves and that their love for Old England had been exploited. Or I, would, I should say their loyalty to Old England had been exploited to serve the maniacal whims of its governing body and wealthy elite instead of its people. Rebellion kind of had to happen if this thing was to ever be stopped and torn down and kept from destroying everything that is beautiful and good in the world. But, uh, I know, I'm, I'm getting very patriotic. Are you on your second cigarette yet?
1: I uh, know, I was gonna save it for the honorable mention, but you know what I do. I do, this is getting a little bit jingoistic for me. I do need something to take the edge off. Allow
0: me to enjoy this, okay? You can you can have your takes on history where sometimes the good guys do good things and it's not always a scam. Well, but you'll see. You'll see in the end.
1: Oh, and I know it, where this is going. It's, it's absolutely do. a scam.
0: It is absolutely a scam. So, I mean, like the picture I got with this was that image from The Dark Knight Rises where Christian Bale is climbing out of Bane's prison. Um, escape is only assured in that movie if, uh, Christian Bale abandons the rope and literally risks his life for his freedom. Uh, and I think that's the image I got with these, with some of these guys who were, they were like, yeah, like, we're, we're finally fighting back, but, you know, like, we gotta just accept that we're probably gonna die.
1: I um, no, just, I, I caught the second half of that movie, uh. Well, I was over at someone's house recently. I forgot how great Bane's lines were. It's like, no wonder they made him the villain. Like, when they rob the, uh, or they do the, the raid on the stock exchange, and someone's like, there's no money to steal here. This is a stock exchange. And Bane's like, oh, then why are you here? <laughs> why like are you
0: people here?
1: <laughs> absolute denouncement of our current economic model. I love Hilarious.
0: it. Hilarious. Also, a an denouncement of, never mind. Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> Yes, so let me believe in this one. This is the narrative that... I, I want to emphasize something, too. I think this is the... This is probably... Close... To the narrative that was being spun about this this revolution to begin with. Like, the people on the ground were really like, Really? We're really gonna do something? It's like, yeah, yeah, here's a bunch of money, kid, go. And they're like, what? What? A rich person's helping us? Thank you, Mister Mr. Rich Man. Like, I don't know. Um... I don't know. I, I think it was. I think it was like a very patriotic, jingoistic narrative, and that was probably the spirit of the time. Uh, and some uh, some very shady people may have perhaps taken advantage of the uh, the slave revolt. So let's continue with the with the official narrative here. The government. Uh, it got this uh, this Boston Tea Party thing uh, was probably the biggest mass trolling event in recorded history. That's an absolute exaggeration, but I'm being uh, I'm being I'm bloviating. Uh, it was finally enough, though, to get the British government's attention. They're like, oh shit, they're going after the product. God damn it, they figured it out! The government, realizing that they'd pushed the people of Boston too far, immediately tried to fix this problem by doing more of the same. First, they banned town meetings in Massachusetts. Second, they ordered that British soldiers who committed crimes uh, in America were to be tried in Britain, and not in the colonies. Remember. These parliamentarians likely had their own sons stationed in America, taking a full-time salary right out of the colonists' pockets. So, of course, it was great, of great importance that they be protected from any kind of legal reparation or action. Um, reparation was the absolute wrong word, but I, I don't, I don't know. Okay, retribution. There you go. The third act uh, was. Uh, to close Boston's port until Americans could pay back the debt incurred by the Boston Tea Party. The fourth and final of these acts, known as the Intolerable Acts, was the Quartering Act of 1774, which made it legal for royal governors to bunk British troops in the homes of the citizenry without permission. This meant that anyone suspected of being even a little bit anti-government might have a couple of soldiers moved in their house to spy on them. Uh, and obviously this is stupid and everybody knows it, but it's very, very shortly after this that Benjamin Franklin and the Sons of Liberty fully realize what's coming. They begin to train militias, uh, gathering able-bodied men willing to fight for freedom. Production of weapons goes into full swing. Constitutions are being written in the colonies to turn them into independent states. The Founding Fathers are having a fucking party every single night. They're getting super drunk and just writing shit. And it's wonderful. Um, I say that with my tongue firmly in my cheek. Uh, around this time, uh, Benjamin Franklin also released his famous meme drawing of a snake cut up into 13 pieces, beneath which is in all caps, JOIN OR DIE. Which is kind of ominous, a little bit menacing, I think. Um... A, a little, bit. Yeah, a a little, little bit. bit, a little bit, a little bit. He also wrote a letter to a friend in which he almost literally said, "They can't stop all of us." <laughs> uh, and this letter was later discovered. And when I read that line, i, I had a a I had a very hearty belly laugh. Um, so this zeitgeist of this of this uh, little like fight for freedom, join or die. You know, the, there's some there's some elitists who are on our side. Yeah, people, people really believe that they could wage war against the biggest empire and they they could do it with, with freedom. But anyways, that's what finally brings us to Daniel Shays, who is a small figure in this coming war, but is a larger figure in another. And I think, however, it's time to take a break and do this week's Honorable Mention. Woo! Woo! Let me introduce the segment. Yes, welcome to Honorable Mentions. This is the part of the show where we cover something that was too short for a full episode, but was interesting enough to talk about, so blah, blah, blah. Here's an Honorable Mention brought to you by George this week.
1: All right, thank you, Aaron. So this is actually the the thing I stumbled upon that originally made me want to do the whole Honorable Mention thing, because I found this tiny, tiny little thing and wanted to tell the world about it, but didn't have a way. Uh but then I ended up um deciding to do everyone's favorite um you know uh finished drug overdose story instead as my inaugural one and this kind of got pushed to the pushed to the end. So now now we're going to we're going to do it today. So this is a a little pi- a paragraph, just a tiny little paragraph from a newspaper, the Abilene Reflector of Abilene, Kansas in September, September 20th of 1883, they have sort of a random news column just with every paragraph's a completely different thing. Great. Yep. Um. So to give you an example of some of the types of things here, the, the paragraph above the one I want to read is Colonel Robert M. Mayo of Westmoreland County, or Westmoreland County, Virginia, member of Congress elect, shot himself the other morning on board the steamer Virginia from Baltimore.
0: Oh, well, that's <laughs> sad. Yeah, so it's just
1: like <laughs> random, random news random news but here's the paragraph that i'm going to just read the whole thing because it's just one little paragraph that has basically the whole complexity of the human experience wrapped up in it the body of frank Devereux was recently found in the woods eight miles from sheboygan michigan the surroundings showed that he was killed in a bear fight which resulted fatally for both as the animal's body was found near that of the dead man the body was terribly cut up in the context, and the ground torn around it for a space of 20 feet, showing that the struggle had been a fearful one. Wow! <laughs> That's it! So this, this this dude fought a bear to the death, and um, they both ended up dead there, and, you know, 20-foot wide space was just all knocked down, so they were just rolling around in there, stabbing each other, I guess. Uh, yeah, it doesn't say anything else. I don't know what weapon he used, but um, yeah, Frank Devereaux, whoever you were, in 1883, he fought a bear and died, but did kill the bear. <laughs> like I would, I would, I would pay for a subscription to a newspaper if I was able to get stuff like that delivered to me every morning to yep. read while I eat my pop tart. <laughs> oh man! Well, they say that the last time your name is uttered
0: is the. Means that what your last time, how's it? Say, how's that
1: go? No, is that like you're not the the your real time of death is the last time your name is uttered or something like that.
0: Yep. So as long as this podcast stays up, he'll be alive forever.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Frank Devereux. Watch over watch over us.
0: Let us let us uh, say a prayer to the spirit of Frank Devereaux. <laughs> bless
1: him in absolute his... unit. <laughs> you I know also that... just love that last line showing that the struggle had been a fearful one. Oh yeah. It's like yeah, no no shit. I'm pretty sure <laughs> anytime you're in melee combat with a bear is going to be a fearful struggle. I don't think that's ever that's ever not part of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you're right about that. Um well, But you know, you got to know that like he and that bear are like best friends in heaven. Right? Cuz they like shared they like shared a, like the most important struggle of their lives together. And now yeah, they're just no, like that's, buddies.
1: That's true. That's true. When um, you know, when when he's walking through the woods, and I don't, you know, I don't know who I don't know who hit first, but I can just imagine like the bear is walking along, and then Frank Devereaux comes suddenly behind it and shanks it, and the bear is like, "I'm glad it's you." As he then pulls out <laughs> his knife and like stabs Frank behind him. <laughs> I'm glad it's you. That was the perfect line. Oh fuck. Yeah, no, I really, I I would watch an entire movie about <laughs> Frank Devereaux and the bear. Dude, we should make a video meme of, like, the of like the
0: road to perdition with that scene. <laughs>
2: just with the bear.
0: I'm glad it's
2: you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be too much work, and I have a full-time job now, so I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna say a fan can do that
1: one if they want. Well, anyway, so that was my honorable mention, just Frank Devereaux and his last fearful struggle. Oh my god, well...
0: Thank you for that, and thank you for derailing my hilariously um, patriotic uh, rambling here. So anyway, let's surmise what we've learned so far. The American Revolution began for a lot of reasons, but largely because the people realized they were being enslaved and not governed. They were being taxed to death, worked to death, and were doing all of it to support a massive trade scam that was killing millions of people. Both directly and indirectly, entire cultures had been destroyed or enslaved just so the East India Company could sell tea and biscuits and build up plunder in their little city. Uh, the principal motive for the entire revolution was the rejection of the worldwide Oedipal Mother Walmart system. I'm just going to keep saying it that way. Uh, where the British would come in, guarantee bread, provide bread, wait till you were dependent on it, and then rule you with an iron fist by threatening to take it all away.
1: Well, remember, Aaron, a uh, country's GDP is the only real measure of the prosperity of its citizens, right? Well, of course it is, and and debt
0: actually matters. Okay, so the only reason America was able to break away uh, was that they had their supply line within their own land, and they could make up for the loss of English trade in the colonies. Uh, if they didn't, the Americans would have, if they didn't have this sort of infrastructure already built up, the Americans would have been crushed by the full force of the English Empire, just like everybody else, Potentially. Um, the other thing that the Patriots and the Sons of Liberty had, um, was their size. Um, they they had, uh, the advantage of American, well, not really American, but they had the advantage of having large territorial claims. Uh, one British officer post-war said that conquering the Americans was impossible because it would be like conquering a map. The British had the most powerful military in the world, uh, or at least one of them. And they could uh, not hold the lands they took during the Revolution because there was just too much land. They would take like fifty square miles, but there wouldn't—they wouldn't even be a victory, because there were like two English citizens living in that space and maybe fifty undocumented patriots who had all had guns and were hiding in the trees. So, <laughs> where does Daniel Shays come in all and all this? And I'll say, I—I I, this episode's a little top-heavy. But I wanted to really, really explore what was really going on in the revolution because revolutions are sort of fueled by um, emotion. They're they're fueled by a sense of injustice. They're fueled by a sense of of uh, entitlement to certain rights. Right. Um, and when people- well,
1: now that now that Aaron's given the propaganda line, <laughs> I'll give my line. Revolutions are usually fueled by someone who. Realizes they have an opportunity to seize the reins of oppression themselves and start enjoying the benefits of it.
0: Yes, you're going a layer deeper. Um, What I'm trying to talk about is I'm trying to talk about people. When people feel like they're entitled to something and they're not getting it, and they realize that if they make a big stink, uh, they can get it. Well, that's a perfect opportunity for someone to say, I have the ready-made solution right here, and I'll give you a bunch of money and guns to destroy this opponent that I have over here. It's really, really cynical, but it's just the way it is, because this is how this all turned out. Um, <clears throat> let's see here. Well, during the Revolution, Daniel Shay was one of the Bostonian patriots who attended things like the Boston Tea Party. Uh, he was an Irishman, as we had mentioned before, living within this system, and he was one of the many of his countrymen who had to see England strangle his own people to the point where they had to flee to a foreign land just to survive. So when, he was a list- it was, so when he enlisted as a militiaman, he affirmed his God-given Irishman's destiny to fuck over the British Walmart system at any possible juncture. Uh, and it turned out that for a person like Daniel Shays, the American Revolution appeared to be that juncture. But Daniel Shays' tale really takes off after the story of the American Re- Revolution comes to a close. Shays' unit fought. Uh, bravely at the Battle of Concord, Bunker Hill, Trenton, finally the Battle of Saratoga. And if you're familiar with all the important battles in the American Revolution, you might be aware of how important all these battles were in the course of securing victory for the colonies. So for three years, uh, from 1777 to 1780, Daniel Shays fought with the Continental Army for free. Um, because he, he swallowed the pill of finally somebody's were able and to And he hated the British. And he hated the British, yeah. So he did it for free. Um, And when he was finally, he had to be wounded to get out of the fight. Like, that's how (laughs) how on board he was. Um, But he left the military unpaid, even though he was promised wages. And he went to Pelham, Massachusetts, where he operated in several town leadership offices, trying to sort shit out over there. But over the course of the three years following the war, back pay for his service never arrived. He never got paid. And in his town of Pelham, he's starting to see a lot of other common folk who fought for freedom, you know, or so they thought, in a similar situation. While there was something like an economic boom post-war, it quickly turned into an economic downturn that was really bad. Like, the debt that America had incurred with other countries during the struggle was pretty staggering. And veterans felt, especially, that they were being treated unfairly by not being at the top of the list of people to pay Now that victory had been achieved, like, you would think the patriots who fought for free on the promise of pay down the road, like, the first thing you would do is pay them so they could settle their land, start families, and populate your new country. You would think (laughs) that would be what you would do.
1: Let me guess, there were investors and financial interests who had to be settled first, right? Yep,
0: you're gonna hate this, um... So this, this is a big problem for the veterans, and protests began in Boston, against the legislature, in an attempt to get the veterans the wages they deserved, and desperately needed to be productive members of society. Uh, however, the legislature did little except hear the people out, and even then, they were pretending to be asleep the whole time. They're just like, ah, fuck you, you know? They were more interested in the big picture, as they might say. Um, that would be the official version of uh, what they're interested in. They did have a debt problem to solve uh, in order to keep the government working. And in order to keep the government working, they would need to start looking for ways to bolster the treasury. Now remember, the most important asset that this corporation, so to speak, this new one has, is that 90% production rate of self-sufficiency amongst the people, right? That is the most important aspect that this corporation has. And what are they doing? Ignoring it. I'm listening. I'm just, I'm just like letting that sink in a little bit. Um, think about that.
1: So. So what do you mean they're ignoring it?
0: I'm- they they were, they were, you know, these people were like, we haven't been paid. We're going literally unable to, large, a lot of us are unable to work now because we lost a leg or an arm. Um, We're going to debtor's prisons. Uh, People are, aren't able to, like, establish anything and grow. Like, what's going on here? And they're not being heard. And the answer that they get um, is basically like, well, we need to, we need to uh, get get really started in trade now to, to bolster the Treasury, so then we can pay you. But we really gotta get started with trade right now. Um, so this took the form of the legislature passing laws to improve trade with Europe and the Eastern world course neglecting the veterans um there was a man named James Bowden do you have you ever heard of this this man Bowden Bowden yeah thank yeah. you
1: um Bowden College um in Maine oh that's how it's spelled that's the only reason i know that that's how that name is pronounced is oh. because that Bowden College is spelled like that
0: i thought you were just being a know it all but you
1: know hey <laughs> and i would imagine it's probably has some family relationship to him because you know elites tend to stay elite uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Well, the problem is I discovered this guy a little late in the game for the episode. So, like I'm I'm halfway to like wanting to do a whole episode on him because he is a scumbag um in a lot of ways. But, doesn't matter. Uh he's somehow now the governor of Massachusetts and uh he's also a well-known wealthy Bostonian merchant and, you know, which is of course a a port city uh which is where all the the trade comes in. And he was actively working against paying the veterans. Because according to him, the more pressing matter at hand was, of course, the lack of hard currency in the young nation. They had to get, they had no gold, you see, or at least not that much. And this meant that issuing paper money was, of course, impossible because it wouldn't be backed by anything. And that's how we used to think about money. The veterans could not be paid, is what he was saying. And in the meantime, they were getting thrown into debtor's prison and then watching their land get forfeited to the state. Because the state hadn't paid them. I can't imagine getting fucked over this hard. Well, I couldn't if it wasn't um, still happening. So after creating another property tax, the legislature adjourned in the July of 1786 in a alleged deadlock. Trade was improving, and it was indeed beginning to line certain Bostonians' pockets. But the people in the countryside saw no betterment of their position. Things Ah, only- uh, yes.
1: Classic. Classic legislature. Ah, mm. uh, yes. We have further exploited the working man. <laughs> well done, everyone. Here we adjourn and go to the country club.
0: Yep. Uh, how nice it must be to be a devil. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. So things only began to get worse. Um, knowing no other way forward in such conditions, the people went to Boston and caused problems. They... Caused so many problems, in fact, that they managed to shut down the court system, that was throwing them in jail and taking all their stuff, uh, and then Boston basically started to fall apart because they. Nice. Were st-
1: it sounds like um, remember what the the Irish did when they just stopped participating in the whole British court system and it just fell to pieces.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's non-compliance. So Governor Bowden. Uh, was not happy about this, obviously, because, you know, these people- They're supposed to be paying their taxes! They're supposed to be- you know, they're- we're not getting all the money! And so he's like, I know what I'll do! I'll have the- the militia assemble around to defend the courts! That'll work! But guess what? The militia didn't do it. Because... They let me were guess, the militia! A lot of the, yeah, I was
1: gonna say, let me guess, they were the ones being foreclosed on.
0: Yes! <laughs> it's so stupid! Um, and Daniel Shays was one of these guys who refused to go to Boston to defend Bowden and his system and these people they, they just weren't about to start listening now this was like literally 10 years out from 1776 like yeah okay you better light up another one because it's about to get you're allowed oh, I'm to? ready okay. I'm ready so Shays took his militia uh, to Northampton and successfully shut down the county court there. Um, uh, They then announced that their mission in shutting it down was on behalf of all the people who were watching um, land that they literally fought and died for being turned over to the state because the state wouldn't pay them. The whole fight for freedom appeared to have been taken over by the very people they had thought they were fighting. Wealthy people who wanted to steal trading power and use the people's dream of liberty to make it happen. It was a... It was a... Massive, that, you know, I said the Boston Tea Party was the biggest troll? This was the biggest troll. That the original Americans believed, really believed, that they were gonna get out of this. And that, uh, these wealthy people who, j- they had it in their hearts that the people should have freedom! And then they enslaved them. So there's that. This is, this is all very good. Um... So, the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts indicted the leaders of this little protest calling them traitorous, seditious persons for wanting to get money they were owed by the government. Daniel Shays began uh, taking more and more leadership in this militia because he was becoming more and more vocal and also, like, very good at organizing people. He actually coordinated with another militiaman named Luke Day, and the two marched on Springfield, um, where they were met—I'm sorry, they met in Springfield with another militiaman uh, named William Shepard. But William Shepard was on the government side. Ah, lame. I know. I know, I know. So I think what happened was the uh, the uh, royalty, you might say, in uh, Massachusetts, uh, Mr. Bowden, realized that, oh, like I can't just make the militia, uh, you know, do my bidding just because I'm the government and I'm the one in charge. Um, so, you know, that's where you run into people like William Shepard, who is a mercenary, and uh he 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 reportedly went around and you know started gathering up 300 men convincing them that the government had to be defended and uh that the, you know democracy was under under attack by terrorists or something like that and so he they say he convinced 300 of his own men to stand guard outside the courthouse i doubt it he probably paid at 300 people to stand outside the courthouse um these were the soldiers that got the money by the way of course and and
1: then the government passed the Patriot Act
0: yeah so then Daniel Shays and Luke Day had about the same number they had about 300 people and it was but it was their like real patriotic you know freedom loving you know burger eating Americans they were like these were the guys who were like wait this was supposed to be about freedom and we've literally traded one slave master for another so they meet with this this shepherd character outside the outside the uh, courthouse and uh, the shepherds' guys, like, keep them from coming in, and they've got guns, so uh, Daniel Shea and his guys and Luke Day start just marching around the courthouse like it's, you know, Jericho. Uh, They didn't want to start a fight, they just wanted to be heard. They were trying to be reasonable, you know. Um, So the Supreme Court first postponed the hearings in regards to these indictments, um, and then adjourned three days without hearing any cases at all. William Shepard then took his men, a force that had grown to about 800 because he was finding more people to buy, and moved them to the Federal Army, or the Federal Armory. For now, things seemed to be quieting, da- quieting down, but only briefly, because not a month had passed before an armed force of about 300 uh, hired men hunted down a popular figure in the rebellious movement. Uh, they slashed him up with a sword and then arrested him. And his name was Job Shattuck, and he was a local favorite. But he wasn't the only one that the feds were going after. They got a couple more really popular dudes, too. And so public opinion's like, wait, what the fuck is going on? Like, how is this happening? Like, ten years ago, these were our guys. We fought with these people. And, you know, start start to realize they, they were duped, maybe, a little bit. So this clampdown on the protesters had the opposite of its intended effect, as we have seen before. It literally sowed the seeds of a new revolution and radicalized a whole bunch of protesters in western Massachusetts, and turned them into a new insurgency, or so we're told. Uh, Shay, uh, Shay's, I did it, I did it. said Shay again. Shay's and Luke Day began to organize their men, establishing regiments and settling on a target. They aim to take the federal armory in Springfield, gather as many weapons and as much ammo as they could, and take down the tyrannical state government of Massachusetts. They're like, "We've been had. It's time for them to go. We'll we'll do anything to to destroy this." Hell yeah, yeah, hell yeah. So William Shepard, in the meantime, and I think this this there's another level to this that we'll get after we'll get to after we tell the official historical narrative. William Shepard, in the meantime, uh, was at that very armory uh, in in Springfield, giving guns to a growing force of dumbasses fighting on behalf of the state government. The dumbasses were getting paid, so there you go. Um, he said he had somehow recruited 1,200 men and armed them well under the orders of none other than none, none other than Governor Bowden. Meanwhile, Daniel Shays, Luke Day. And another insurgent named Eli Parsons had come up with a three-pronged attack to take on the armory. Shays would attack Springfield from the east, Day from the west, and Parsons from the north. They'd have them on the run, and victory would be assured. And their numbers are, of course, still growing, because people are hearing about it, and they're, like, literally getting on their horse and riding out to join. So the rebels set up for the attack and planned for it to occur on January 25th, 1786, but it li- at the last minute, Luke Day sent Daniel Shays a message saying that he wasn't ready yet, and he had to postpone his, uh, his wing of the attack at least one full day. And the messenger carrying this information was captured by William Shepard's men. So the message of wait a day never made it to Daniel Shays. So... That meant that Daniel Shays marched for Springfield on the set day of the attack, not knowing that he would have no support from the West. As the rebels approached the armory, Shepard ordered a warning volley to be fired over the heads of Shays' men. Um, And they did, but the rebels kept on walking toward him. uh, And the rebels hadn't fired a shot yet. At which point, Shepard ordered two cannons to let loose a couple rounds of grape shot. Which, if you don't know, is like a shotgun, but a cannon. It's It instantly killed four men and wounded 20 others. Two shots of this shit. Into a marching group of men who never fired a single shot. It put the entire force into a state of panic. Um, and, again, they never fired on the pro-government militia. The entire rebellion collapsed in this instant because of the sudden panic of, Oh, they're not... They're not even going to hear us. They'll literally shoot us. So Shays' militia fled north, pursued by General Benjamin Lincoln, who was a man who hired 3,000 mercenaries to track these these people down. Along the way, Shays' militia raided shops for supplies and took some merchants as hostages, desperately trying to reorganize. Um... But it was not to be. General Benjamin Lincoln ended up forcing a night march through a snowstorm to arrive at Shea's camp at the break of dawn. According to Lincoln, they, oh, they definitely caught Shea's militia completely by surprise, and they were scattered like frightened deer in the snow. And uh, Lincoln also says he captured about 150 men, but no officers, suspiciously. And that's why some historians question this report as being perhaps falsified. Because Shay himself was not captured, Luke Day was not captured. None, nobody in charge was captured. They just, oh, we got 150. We got them. We're coming home. So the leadership and and many fleeing militiamen eventually did make it to New Hampshire and Vermont, where they found refuge and literal sanctuary. Like they, they Vermont and New Hampshire wouldn't give them back when Massachusetts said they had, they wanted them when they wanted them back. But back in Massachusetts, the state legislature declared a state of martial law and also gave Governor Bowdoin all the power he needed to stamp out any breath of rebellion. They also passed large bills, very quickly, I might add, that paid General Lincoln the wages of his 3,000 mercenaries and all the fees he had incurred during the expedition. Instant pay, payment for, for those guys, but not for the vets. For Naturally. those Naturally. Um, yeah, I bet you didn't hear about this in history books, did you kids? Um, so the bill was also, uh, also designed to ban any legislator, any legislator at all from expressing any kind of sympathy for the rebels, and, uh, also permabanned any sympathizers at all from ever holding office in the state of
1: Massachusetts. Ah, uh, yes, the land of the free. Yep.
0: There was still, uh, allegedly a roving insurgency of about 120 rebels, uh, they were basically spending all their time raiding trading posts and pestering other merchants who were part of the whole new trade empire. That was beginning to take root, um, but they were allegedly put down. As Shays hid in the woods in Vermont, v- Massachusetts offered a deal to anyone who participated in the rebellion. If you signed a confession basically saying that you were a bad, mean, awful person, you would be free of the gallows, but you would never hold office in Massachusetts. Shays was publicly condemned for his actions, as were his conspirators. Um, And literally, he uh, he was tried with treason and all that shit, and eventually he got pardoned somehow. He was granted five years pension by the government for his service in the revolution, Uh, and eventually grew old and poor and became an alcoholic and worked a tiny plot of land in New York. Uh, and died at 78. In obscurity. So, the effects of this rebellion brought to bear some serious questions about federal and state powers. It made everyone turn around and go, Hmm. It also destroyed Governor Bowdoin's political career, uh, at least among the people, and he died of dysentery, so God got him in the end. Um, as for... Ben-
1: <laughs> you can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. You can run on yeah. for a long time. Sooner or later God'll cut you down.
0: Yep. I never <clears> thought I'd get you to sing on the show, but there we go. Um, yeah, so dysentery, he was running on for a long time, and then he died. So, mm. you get it? Get it? Okay. As for Benjamin Lincoln the general who hired 3,000 mercenaries, um, uh, he had a a memorial erected in his uh, memory in 1927 by the New England Society of Brooklyn. The memorial uh, commemorates the government's uh, very own General Benjamin Lincoln, who did raise those 3,000 troops and routed the rebellion on February 4th, 1787. And uh, the memorial has a line on it, and you're going to hate this, Obedience to the law is true liberty. Wow. I know. Isn't
1: that fascinating?
3: That's, uh... Yeah, that's something.
1: That's something. Um... Do you prefer brown or black leather on the boots?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, it just hurts. It hurts me. Um... Thomas Jefferson, the sitting president, had the following to say of the rebels. He actually didn't have, uh, he didn't make any moves to stop any of it. He also didn't make any moves to, uh, support the suppression of it. He had the following to say in support of the whole idea of liberty, which is that, you know, you've heard it before. The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is its natural manure.
1: Oh, so that, that quote is actually, was specifically made in reference to this situation? Yes, it was. Oh, that's awesome. See, I knew that quote. I did not know what the context was. I thought it was just, you know, what I assume all Founding Fathers did, where they just kind of sit around and, like, say quotes that then somebody writes down and they put on Facebook later. Yeah. I didn't know the actual historical context. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. Shay's
0: Rebellion was was why he said it. Um... But, I'll tell you. so the reason I kept these sort of, uh, the- the jingoistic, the, you know, beautiful, everyone's working together, uh, for freedom narrative in here, um, and the reason I- I sort of had the patriotism I had was because the story, as it's presented, is beautiful. It's just, we're fighting against oppression, and, you know, we're really getting them this time, and it was always the British. And it's like, yeah, well... Most of the people who, like... Took over when you got your freedom were the same kind of people. They just flew a different flag. And they wanted power, too. And they saw a movement rising. And anger and dissidence rising. And they said, hey! Hey, uh... Don't you think speech should be free? And everyone's like, yeah! They're like, yeah, hey, hey, don't you think... Everyone should have recourse to the law. Like, yeah. And he's like, well, I have a big friggin' bank account and I can buy you guns. What do you say? We go give that British bastard a true kick in the pants. And then you're like, you're so desperate for any kind of relief from the oppression that you go and do that. And then at the end of it, they do exactly the same thing the English were doing.
1: Yeah, no, it's like um, it might be helpful here to just talk a little bit about the uh, the whiskey rebellion. Please do. That's uh, pretty close in time. What year did you say this was? This was uh, late late eighties, was it? Uh, yes. Yes, yeah. yeah, so the whiskey rebellion was um early seventeen nineties, so very close after that, and it's really a similar sort of situation. Um, the government started taxing domestic products which had never been done before because you remember the whole thing of why the colonies were sort of able to be sufficient is because they had all these domestic products that weren't imported imported things were taxed but things you made at home weren't Um, but the federal government started taxing whiskey made in the u.s which had never been done before and so a lot of farmers in western pennsylvania almost all of whom were veterans of the Revolutionary War whose livelihoods were raising grain for whiskey and distilling and stuff, um, ended up rebelling and were suppressed, of course. But um, it's a very similar thing, where it's like wait a minute, we were supposed to you know, be getting rid of unjust taxation, and then you're going to turn around and start actually doing something the British hadn't even done, which is taxing our domestic products?
0: Yeah, it's like if you care about the good of a country and the good of a people, why would you tax the things they make why Why wouldn't you just wholeheartedly support the stuff that they make? Just be like, yeah, like if we care if you care about the people, you want to encourage productivity. you don't want to discourage it, but you know then the, that comes into some very very existential questions about about uh you know our current system today. We take it for granted these things um but uh, you know. I don't want to get all dark on you, but I'm sure you have plenty to say that you won't, which is fine. (laughs) But, uh, I don't know if you have any more opinions on this. Um,
1: what, what? I'm just (laughs) having a timeline thing. Wait, Jefferson wasn't president yet.
0: No. Oh, so he wasn't the president yeah oh. okay
1: yeah no yes he was right. not the president i got that yet.
0: fucking wrong i i'm so dumb thank you for checking yeah. me Why yeah not? he but wasn't he, the president he, until
1: 1801 he, he did become the president eventually though so oh. yes he did eventually become the president <laughs> um <laughs> once a president interest, always a president <laughs> fun f- fun fact is that um uh support for uh, the whiskey rebellion was actually a big part of his political career and so when he became president he actually repealed that tax really yeah. We had some good ones. So like he's a crazy man. Like Thomas Jefferson was an absolute nut job, but there are some things about him that are that are kind of cool because I feel like he was one of the f- one of the ones who actually legitimately like was serious about the whole thing. He was nuts and a lot of his ideas were awful, but I think he was actually serious about the liberty thing.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of funny cuz like every now and then one in in American history one of them just slips through the cracks. And they like start doing things that are good for people and they start like making sane decisions, you know, about like really hard stuff.
1: And then the CIA assassinates <laughs>
0: them. Well well, um I, I I disavow that um that accusation uh as a CIA operative myself. But I was gonna say that was one of the things I ran into with Andrew Jackson. I was like I went into it being like fully expecting to be like, this guy was awful, and he was in a lot of ways, but like the system he was like presented with when he became the president was truly fucked. Uh, and he did the best he could with what he had and, you know, like settled the national debt. That doesn't hurt. I mean, why can't we do that? You know? It's like wh- why why do we have to keep doing this, you know? But we don't ask those questions because we just we're just used to it. So the world we were raised in. Um which is it sort of does remind me of like the, the Irish like the Irish the IRA sort of arose out of people like having almost generational memories
1: of hatred toward the British. Literally, you know, five hundred years. Yeah. 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 Well.
0: Anyway, so that's a, that's a that's a tough story, but um you know, I just I, I just I'll just remember the, the bald eagles that were crying outside of my, my trailer when I was writing about the spirit of the men throwing the tea in the harbour. Might have been a false flag, but I just want to believe that there were some guys there who really thought it was real and felt it, you know? But, uh, that's, that's my optimistic side. I'm sure you're very, very, uh, much more suspicious of these things. Oh, you
1: know me. I'm a, I'm a wretched cynic.
0: Yeah, he's, he's a wretched cynic, which is, which is why he had to get after me for, uh, for, uh, calling Thomas Jefferson the president when he wasn't. <laughs> it's, uh it's a delicate balance on the podcast it's a it's
1: a tough job but somebody's got to do it yeah somebody's, somebody's got to keep aaron's flights of fancy tethered down
0: yeah and sometimes sometimes george needs a little encouragement too but i don't know how you do it man like how you go through this world feeling like <laughs> well maybe accurately feeling like the game's rigged from the start but i i want to believe in things <laughs>
1: Well that's that's quite a note to close on, I think.
0: Yep. <laughs> uh and I think with that, I think we should ascend to the surface and think of holy things.
2: <laughs> yep, gotta earn your way to the next level. That's right.
0: So George, if you had to design a flag that represented true freedom and not a false song, what would it look like?
1: Hmm, that's a tough one. Um, hmm, I'm thinking about it too here. Yeah, this this is a hard one to just bullshit. Um, I mean, if I want to do some sort of like edgy big brain take take, I might be like. No flag, because once you put a flag on it, you're subjecting it to some sort of authority. But I'm not actually that kind of weirdo. Um hmm. I really like the color blue.
0: Oh, really? Democrat.
1: Fuck you, Aaron. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe something blue. Like stars are nice. Um honestly the American flag is kind of it's kind of busy. There's like a lot going on. And it's kind of, yeah, it's like a little bit much. I like something really, really simple, you know, something you can quickly spray paint on the side of a government building in the middle of the night. And you can't do that with the American flag. Sure.
0: Yeah. I think I think what I would do is just like a I'd have like a circle with a line through it like that. No thing. And then behind it would be that (laughs) just the word that whatever the fuck that is. Not that (laughs) something like that. I dig it. Yeah, it's okay. I didn't even think about that. I was I was originally just going to say I'd put a mango on a flag because of the whole Mao mango thing that I can't seem to get over. Um, also, I'm looking at a can of mango-flavored kombucha right now, which is looking more, more and more delicious with every passing second. Which means I think it's time to bring the show to an end for today. If you hate us, you're probably... On your way there. Um, so consider funding the show by becoming a patron on Patreon.com, or a Patreon is not your thing, drop us a little tip in Venmo, that's w- at WTADP. Picked up a couple patrons uh, last couple weeks. It's been really cool. Gotten some tips. Uh, did we mention Seamus on the episode we had to cancel? Yes, we did. Okay, so Seamus, dude, thanks so much. Uh, he's been contributing hugely to the show. Um, so, big shout out to him. Sorry we didn't get you at the beginning there, buddy, but You know, I'd already done it once, and then I had to delete the whole episode, so there you go. Uh, If you want to tip us, like good old Seamus, that's at WTADP on Venmo. Our cover art was created by Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his wonderfully whimsical work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. And with all that being said, we'll close out and let the true Sons of Liberty play you out.
3: When mighty roast beef was the Englishman's food, it ennobled our veins and enriched our blood. Our soldiers were brave and our courtiers were good.
2: Oh, the roast beef of old England, and old English roast beef.
3: But since we have learned from all vapour in France, to eat the ragouts as well as to dance, we are fed up with nothing but vain complaisance. Oh, the roast beef of old England, and old English roast beef. Our fathers of old were robust, stout, and strong, and kept open house with good cheer all day long, which made their plump tenants rejoice in this song. Oh, the roast beef of old England, and old English roast beef when good queen elizabeth sat on the throne ne'er coffee and tea and such slip slops were known the world was in terror if e'er she did frown oh the roast beef of old england and old english roast beef in those days, if fleets did presume on the main, they seldom or never returned back again, as witness the vaunting armada of Spain, all oh, the roast beef of old England and old English roast beef. Britannia's high trident still waving on high, bitter tars all be true and their foes all defy, to avenge all her wrongs they will conquer or die, like Like brave jolly tars of old England, the conquering brave British tars. Now fill up a glass while a bumper we have To Howe, Jervis, Duncan, and Nelson the Brave To the bold British tars who now rule on the wave Huzzah for the bulwarks of England And health to each bold British tar